HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. For everyone asking, there are a lot of resources of how to support and get involved with the Ukrainian relief effort at heritageradionetwork.org. We are sending lots of love and support to the people of Ukraine. We hope this war ends soon. Today we sit down with legendary pizza guy, Anthony Mangieri. Apologies if I butchered your name. Italian has never been my strong suit, who is the legendary owner of Una Pizza Napolitana in New York. We talk about the newest iteration in New York on Orchard Street in the Lower East Side. We talk about his journey to reopening, how he reflected on business and life during the pandemic, and his constant pursuit for the perfect pizza. And then we dig into the archives with one of our favorite people from Brooklyn, Annie Hart, as she shares with us some songs and some stories. It's a really great, great episode, a lot of fun. Hopefully you're getting ready for spring and summer. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Anthony, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Um, congratulations on the re 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 reopening. <laughs> uh, um, how's it feel to be uh, slinging pizza once again? Great, great. It's been it's been the best uh, the best version that we've ever had. I think of the restaurant in 25 years. I'm super excited, and it's been really fun. Um, you know, I was. Uh, Lucky enough to have lived in New York when you were open in 2004. And to say the pizza landscape has changed both in the city, but not only the city, but around America would be an understatement. How much do you feel a part of that change? How much have you watched things change without your influence? Um, what do you? What are your thoughts on, on America and the world's relationship with pizza these days and, and where it's been, gone the last two decades? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has changed so much since I opened the first location um, in 1996 in New Jersey. Um, and, you know, for the for the better, I think, uh, for especially for customers, um, I think, you know, when I was growing up in the 70s, 
pizza was, you know, awesome. You obviously weren't getting like Neapolitan pizza. There were no wood fired sure. ovens in America. Then the, the only thing that you were going to get was coal fired, um, mm-hmm. which was like the immigrants take from Naples area sure. of that style of pizza, but they didn't have access to a wood fired oven. Um, but the pizza was great in the seventies because, you know, it was pre like the big companies that sold like dough already made sauce already made cheese mm-hmm. already cut. So, you know, uh, you know, it was like Italian American style cooked in deck ovens, but the, every pizzeria was unique because they had to make their own dough and they had to make their own sauce. So there mm. were a lot of cool, subtle differences where you'd go to one place because maybe they, you know, added a little bit of grated pecorino or sure. something. It was subtle differences, but was really cool and felt very independent. And then that started to change and pizzerias sort of all just became the same. The dough was kind of, you know, usually being bought already made. The sauces were already made. Um, And then the revolution, you know, started slowly with pizza again, like, you know, from a lot of the coal oven places that started to get notoriety that before that had only really been kind of known amongst like Italian Americans. Um, And there were neighborhoods where usually Italian Americans would only eat it. Um, and as that grew and you had places like, you know, Grimaldi's and John's and Totono's start to really just change, you know, everybody's perception on what was possible with, with Italian American style pizza. Um, and then, and then from that, then places like what we were doing started to open where they're making something that was even more kind of connected to the pizza of Italy, particularly Naples. And now it's gone all the way. I mean, there's so many great pizza makers. There's so many different varieties. There's so many hybrids. There's the availability of great ingredients. It just, it's connected to so many things too. You know, farming is different now. The availability of produce that we never got, the importers that are around now that you can get like these incredible cheeses every week, the flour companies that are American that are doing great stuff. And then also all the great Italian companies that are being brought into the U S now. Yeah. Yep. Um, wise. So it's, it's, it's an open market. And where do you feel that you fit in with all that? Because a lot of people's first taste of Neapolitan or even like, a, you know, authentic gets a little tricky, but you know, a close to Italian pizza without going to Italy was at, at your shop. Yeah. I mean, well, when I started, I started with, you know, such an, uh, like an open kind of just innocence about it. I wasn't doing it for, you know, any reason other than that. I truly loved, uh, that style of pizza. I Mm. love Naples. I love the history of it. I love the grittiness of Naples. I love the way the, the pizzeria is felt over there. And when I opened, you know, I just, in my small world that I lived in, I never experienced anything in America that was like in Naples. So I just felt like, man, I really am so in love with this. I want to make this the rest of my life. And, you know, I'm in America, so that's where I'm going to do it. Uh, And now where do I fit in? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to just get to my retirement without having my first major heart attack, I guess. Oh my God. Well, I Um, mean, you, you no, have, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I am still progressing. Mm. I'm one of the older, definitely I'm one of the oldest, I'm probably the oldest pizza maker in, in America that still makes pizza every single day. Like sure. 
every dough that we've eaten at Una Pizza, I've made still. So every time you come in Una, you're eating dough that I weighed, I mixed, and I balled, and I put in the trays still 25 years later. Um, so I don't know if there's anybody else that's doing that still at my age, or maybe there's a few out there, but, um, so, I mean, you know, I, but I still am trying to learn and get better. I, I definitely think, you know, I I've said this before, especially recently, I'm 50 now. And, you know, I think as you get older, you kind of go through like a phase, um, where when you're young and you're coming up, you get to a certain point where you think you're great at something and you mm. think you know everything and you need that, you know, when you're young and you're coming up, you need that kind of fiery kind of, you know, I'm the best and I'm going to show everybody and nobody's better. And that I think works in every field. You need to come at things, especially if you're coming from nothing with like kind of that, that energy behind you of like, I am the best and I'm going to be the best. And then if you keep doing what you do, as you get older, you start to like question yourself more, which is weird because you would think right, right. the experience would kind of play in and you'd be like, well, no, now I'm even better. But actually what happens is as you get older, you know, you just start to maybe mature. You start to see the world differently. You interact with the world differently. And you start to kind of, at least for me, feel like there's even more for me to learn now and more for me to get better at. And every day is a chance for me to like, you know, go into the restaurant and just be like, all right, today is the day that I'm going to be better than I was yesterday. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't work out and maybe the pizza didn't come out great or the service that mm. we ran wasn't our best, but I constantly feel like there's so much room for improvement. Um, so I don't know where I fit in now. I think I hopefully fit in as someone that's just been doing something, you know, as a life's work for, you know, professionally for 25 years and before that for, a handful of years, <laughs> right. you know? So, I mean, it's a lifetime. More of my life has been spent doing this than not at this mm. point. And I want to keep getting better at it. And I, you know, don't see myself stopping anytime soon. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And, and this concept of being the best or this gamification of, of competition between restaurants, you get older and you just go, I'm still here. And that's, uh, remarkable feat when so many restaurants don't make it one year, two years, three years, and you've been in the business for 25 years and you've been through so many openings, so many closings, so many shifting of focuses. And in some ways, it seems like those consistent re-examinations of the business and your life and things like that has allowed you to, to be at this point, to reopen again. How much do you think that constant self-reflection throughout has led to where you are today? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think, um, you know, I'm very self-reflective. And I also put a lot of expectations on myself. And, mm. I, and I also, you know, really believe that you have to put in the work. I'm really like a grinder. I'm the mm. kind of hurt. Like, I just believe that, like, you know, if you come into the pizzeria, then, you know, I should be there because you're spending your money. Sure. And it's like, I just like, that's just my mentality as a person. Like, I really feel like it's my obligation 
to go in there every day and give every ounce of my soul. And I honestly feel like, you know, I'm never giving enough. And, you know, and that I want to really have people come in and see the truth and the transparency of like, you know, we're in there and we are given every, every ounce of our soul to this place, you know, and I hope it like inspires people. I hope it makes people also feel like that they shouldn't compromise in their lives. And you can kind of create your own, your own world, you know, like you can, I really believe, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things I think that, you know, was the American dream is this Mm. idea that like, you know, there's not a lot of places in the world, even today where, you know, a guy from nothing, I grew up in a middle to lower income family. I don't have a college degree. I barely got out of high school. Hmm. Um, And, you know, you can just like put it out there. And if you work hard and you really focus and I believe, you know, if, you don't focus on the money side of things either in a business Mm. and you really just do it focused on the actual reason why you would be doing it in the product or whatever that might be, whether it's music or whatever your world is that you're in. Sure. I truly, truly believe that like it might take longer and it's going to be a rough road, but I think the gains that you get are very hard to have people take them away from you or the world to take it away from you. You can really, cause you're building a real foundation and it's a foundation in whatever work you do built on truth and honesty and just really putting in the time. And I, and that's just, you know, what I, the way that I run the business still to this day. And I think that definitely allows me to keep going back at it and finding like excitement about it and going in and like, like today I was making dough this morning on my day off for a photo shoot we're going to do later. Like, Mm -hmm. and I go in still and I'm like, all right, today is going to be the best dough. And then, and maybe it isn't, I'm like, damn it, I should have tried this. And every day is like these micro adjustments and things. And it just keeps it so interesting. And I mean, what else is life about, you know? Mm. I mean, I love that. And you know, I think life, especially when you can find what you're passionate about and do that day in, day out, um, and be satisfied with that is, is something that is maybe not a goal all the time here, especially in America where there's always this, what's more, what's next. Yeah. But it's like, get up, you, you have your family, you, you do the work that you love. Uh, and if you get to feed people as well, which is something incredibly special um or you create a space where people can go to 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 take a step out of their own lives and you host them it's a pretty beautiful thing um and you know um i i know that you closed down back in march of 2020 because of the pandemic but in many ways because of your history of opening closing and shifting it feels like at least mentally you were prepared of how to weather the storm what did you bring into that experience and that mindset and that self-reflection when all the restaurants were shut down, when the future of the restaurant business was in such question? Gosh, man. I mean, it was, you know, I'm sure for so many people and and in many walks of life, not only the restaurant business, um, that like, you know, it was tough. It was scary. It was financially scary. Um, I mean, for the restaurant business in general, we all work on very small margins. I mean, most 
most restaurants that the world looks at as like, oh my God, look at this huge brand. They're killing it. Most of those restaurants don't even make money. They make money through other avenues, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. actual money from, yeah. I mean, I know factually that like some of these big groups and these big names, you know, they're, they're spending millions and millions of dollars a year to run a restaurant that makes millions and millions of dollars. And basically it ends up being a break even. Yeah. But for us small guys and us independents, I mean, we're already riding a line where it's like a bad week is already like, all right, I'm potentially going to be homeless. So, <laughs> you know, and then you add in like New York City restaurants, sure. which is like the rents are so whacked. I mean, if nothing else, I had really hoped that the the shutdown was going to do a real readjustment in the rents Mm-mm. and it didn't do anything, sadly. Yep. And it's just like. They don't care and too bad. If you want to be in New York City and do business, this is it. This and is it's the a cost shame of business. It's the cost of business. And it's a shame because what it does in a place like New York City is that it makes, you know, independent people really not be able to have the platform of the world, which is New York City. It's such a great grand platform to be in. And, you know, it's it should, or I would hope that it was a place that like independent restaurateurs and people that are driven more artistically could have the space to show their wares to the world. And what's happened over the years is that it's gotten to a point where unless you have investors or whatever, you're just not going to be able to make it. Or if you do, you're going to start to have to do things on your menu that you really don't want to do just to make ends meet. So it's very hard to stay the course in a place like New York City and be independent. Um, as a restaurant operator. So all that being said, going into the pandemic already, myself and many other people like me were already like, oh, I'm barely surviving as it is. So, you know, I funny, you know, the funny part of it was I had spent a year prior to the pandemic building the restaurant in New York City. And I was, um, I mean, in uh, New Jersey, in the Atlantic Highlands. So what I was doing was I was going into the restaurant in New York City in the morning and making dough. Right. And heading down to NJ, doing construction, coming back up to New York uh, on the ferry and working service. And we did this six days a week for almost a year And then when we finally got the place ready to open, and this had been my big plan to finally try to have two locations at one time and like grow as a, as a, as a person on that end of things. And we finally opened and three weeks later, pandemic hit. And so the New York location already was not doing great. It didn't look the way I wanted it to. I felt like it had never really been what it should be. Um, So I just was like, you know what? This location is not going to make it. We're definitely not going to have takeaway business there. I'm going to focus on the New Jersey one. And I think we'll be able to make it with takeaway. And we'll see what happens with New York. And I honestly had been thinking that we would just shut that down completely. And that would Mm. be the end of it. Um, So that's what I did. And I ended up running the New Jersey one for two years almost. Um, And I was going down there. And then during that time, too, I started to go through a divorce. So Mm. then I was actually living living in the hallway of the pizzeria at one point, sleeping in people's houses. Yeah, it was a fun two years. Yeah, it sounds like a real light light work, bud. I didn't have a car. (laughs) I was like 
you know, it was an interesting uh, start to the pandemic. But anyways, that's a that's a story for another <laughs> a story for podcast. another podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's a that's a uh, Delilah's podcast. Oh my god. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you know, it was tough and scary, and and I really never thought the New York one would reopen, and so I did New Jersey. Um, and it was beautiful and it was like a homecoming and we ended up being so blessed, man. We sold out of pizza doing takeaway with just me and my friend for the whole time. We sold out literally every single day for the entire two years. Um, and then I was also able to have the two guys that work with me making pizza come down the last year of the pandemic and stay down there three days a week and work with me. And it was amazing, man. And it was it was like a pizza clubhouse, especially the first year of the pandemic. I was able to like go in there and I made all the dough. I made all the pizza. There were no customers coming in. So it was just takeaway. I was making like 120 or 150 pizzas every day solo. And it was such an, it was something that I never thought I'd be able to do this late in my career as far as like just having that kind of like space to learn in and try new things and so I just focused on all that through the pandemic and had hoped for the best. Um, and it all worked out. And then, you know, at, at the end, I ended up deciding that I needed to be back up here and um, and focus on this location. And I own it out right now. Uh, so that also made me feel like I had a real responsibility. And also my daughter's in New York City. So I wanted to be with her half the week. Mm. So it just all kind of made sense. And you know, like with the pandemic or with anything, you know, I just tried to go with the flow and hope for the best and look at it like everything happens for a reason. I mean, it was it was crazy. I never in my whole life thought that something like that would would take place. And who who you know, did? A lot of people, yeah, and so many people like really are still struggling. struggling yeah, struggling. You know, emotionally, mentally, financially. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Um, so I just hope. You know, the, a lot of these guys that cook and stuff are able to, like, find a, an avenue or a platform to work in if they, if they ended up having to close. Mm. Well, look, let's take a quick musical break. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what else you spent during doing during the pandemic and then the eventual reopen. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.org. I'm at the edge of the sunset I'm looking in I'm not one for indecision I can't hear my intuition Feels like time's in our hands But it's slipping through our fingers We don't need to be forgiven I'm not one for superstition I'm not one I'm not one To let go Oh, let go I put my money I'm at the edge of the sunset I'm looking in 
There's no time for speculation. I do trust in our ambition. We suck our fears to the river, but they're floating to the surface. Be yourself in all your brilliance. Don't be one to ask permission. Don't be one. Don't be one to let go. Oh, let go. I put my money on a miracle tonight. It's gonna take us far away. I put my money on a miracle tonight. It's gonna take us far away. It's gonna take us far away. Why I dream of me? Doesn't matter now, nothing matters. Why are I dream of me and believe in me? Oh, oh, doesn't matter now, nothing matters. Doesn't matter now, nothing matters. I put my money on a miracle tonight. It's gonna take us far away. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Anthony from Una Pizza Napolitana is here. Um, apologies for my Italian. It's never great. Um, <laughs> so um, during the pandemic, I know that you were working really hard and going through some tough times. But, um, you know, I also know that you were spending a lot of time with your daughter and also playing bass at home. Did you find that with the shift in the restaurant industry or at least in, in, in the changing of the rhythms that you had more time to focus on some other things outside of, of the business with family and hobbies or definitely. Yeah. And do you feel, I don't want to say silver lining, but grateful for those types of times that you had? yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think definitely a lot of people, uh, did that, you know, and I think a lot of people started to realize like, you know, wow, maybe I shouldn't, work seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should spend time with my family. Maybe this, maybe that. And definitely, you know, like I said, my plan had been to have two restaurants pre pandemic. I was working six days a week. You know, I, I was out of my mind, uh, right up to the day of the pandemic on just purely working myself to the bone and, You know, when the pandemic happened, I was like, man, this is like a vacation. I'm working three days a week down in New Jersey. We were opening at two and done by seven. I started to be able to mountain bike a lot more. I was Mm -hmm. spending my days off with my daughter. I was playing bass a lot. And, you know, it's, you know, just trying to focus back on those other things that are equal priorities, I think, for your Mm -hmm. human existence. Um, and I'm trying to continue that uh, now, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's what is life if not worth living? Really? And what, you know, and what are so we doing crazy. here? Yeah. 
And well, we're uh, so stressed out about like everything and like, yeah. I got to make more money. I got to be bigger. I got to figure out this angle. I got to, uh, if I do this, I'll get this. And it's like, you know, I'm 50 and it's like, you wake up and you're like, holy crap, I'm 50. Right. Like, it's like, I like think back to like when I was like 14 skateboarding and like, I truly don't know what the hell just happened to all those years. <laughs> and then you're like, holy crap, if that went that fast, that means the next stop is death. You know, know. it's like, well, man, you gotta like really be like, hold on a second. Like yeah, this yeah, yeah. life is such a gift. And if you can wake up every day, I think with gratitude and mm. put in the time and put in the work and just try to do everything with effort, you know, and, and for real though, for real effort, like put it in and like, just be grateful. I think, man, it's such a blessing. Every day is such a blessing. Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, to have your, to have your daughter and to have music in your life and to now be reopened and have a refocus on what it means to be successful and how to improve your craft. It's, it's a mindset that many want to, but few get to by the age of 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, was reopening ever not an option? You know, did you, was there ever a moment when you're like, I'm not, I'm done. Like it's, this is, let's, let's really refocus life. Yeah. I've definitely had some moments um, throughout my life where I've kind of felt like, I'm burnt out. I'm mm. tired. My back hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I've had a ton of people for years and years be like, dude, you cannot make all the dough. You cannot stand in front of the oven like this. <laughs> your wrist, your so, knees, your back, yeah, your hips, like, your you know, neck. Yeah. Totally, totally. Um, so I've had moments like that. But, you know, again, like I think, you know, if you can step outside of yourself for a minute and, mm. and refocus that that mentality back to gratitude and being grateful and not just going around being like, Oh, Oh, about everything. And like, you know, I mean, life is tough, man. Like life, you know, is tough. You get, life will kick you in the ass every chance it can get. Like you gotta be like able to deal with things and, and stay focused and, you know, try to live a good life and a healthy life and a clean life. And, you know, all these things like add in, I think it's like every, I think it's like in cooking, it's like the ingredients make the dish, you know, and if you're not using the best ingredients, the dish isn't going to be as good as it could be. And I think it's the same for life. It's like, if you put in Mm. all these things, like trying to get enough sleep, trying to be grateful, trying to also focus on the other things outside of work that are important and that fill your soul try to live cleanly and like be in control of your decisions. I think like, you know, you put all these things together and little by little, you're like, Ooh, I'm relatively happy most of the time. You know, that doesn't mean that you're walking around like in denial or like, ah, sure. You know, but like, I think it adds up little by little. It's a slow, slow process, but I think it's one that's worth the, worth the effort. Hmm. I mean, that's a beautiful sentiment. Little by little, you just go like, oh, I've, I have put the pieces together for a really right. fulfilling and happy life. Um, you know, I, I I had a question about New York and to 
to talk about New York. Is it back? Is it not back? And it seems like maybe not the right question because we are recording on the day. There's an awful shooting in Brooklyn this morning. I know. That is just so terrible. And, you know, you've been such a fabric of New York and people want to have all these takes on it and things like that. But then you see like a tragedy like that and you go like, it just feels so heavy, you know? So how do you feel about New York these days? How do you feel about what's going on in the city? I mean, it's probably a more complicated question for me to ask today than if we had talked yesterday. Yeah. But being a part of the fabric and because when you live there, it's not just you in your own bubble. Like you're out on the streets, you're with people, especially you having a restaurant, people coming in. Um, how do you feel today about the city and, and where it is? Yeah. I mean, well, definitely like New York is, you know, one of the few cities in the world where, you know, you really are in it every minute of the day. Yes. You know, it's like I live in a small apartment in, in New in Manhattan, you know, and you leave your little apartment and you're in the hallway and there's people you're downstairs. There's people you go out on the street. You're it's just, there's never, you're in it. If you're living here, it's one of those kind of cities. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of dynamics, a lot of energy. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think these things that are happening in the world are just, you know, happening all over the world, not just in New York city. I think, you know, the human race, I think people are sad. I think people are, stressed out. I think people are disenfranchised. I think people don't feel connected. You know, I, I think it's such a bigger issue than just New York. I mean, New York is again, because we're also in it together and there's like, you know, it's easier to be a nut in the suburbs in your house. Right, 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 right. You right. know about it because you're in your backyard freaking out. Here, if you go nuts, you're, you got 10 people that know about it in two seconds. Right, right, um, right. So it's just a different, it's just a more intense polarized dynamic. Um, and it's sad. I mean, but New York has always been like this. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I would come up here and go to CBGB's mm-hmm. and I felt like I was taking my life in my hands every time I came up here. Um, I think, I think sometimes people forget that, you know, I think they forget that New York city historically had always been a place that was somewhat dangerous, had an element of risk and, Sometimes I think it starts to go back that way. And then people are like, Oh, this is crazy. I mean, it was, it was like this when I was a kid, I think it goes through cycles. Um, and I think, again, it's also just a, a, a a mirror of what's going on all over the world. I mean, obviously there's tragedies, you know, that we could speak of all day that are sad and heartbreaking. So of course, on that note, I mean, I think New York City is amazing. And I think it, you know, I think the people that are real New Yorkers are, you know, there's nothing that can break them, you know, and I don't think like anything really changes the way that people roll in New York um, through bad things, through good things. It's just such a, such a, uh, it's such a small amount of space with so many people. Um, that I think everyone here feels things sort of together and, you know, gets worried about things or gets happy about things. And, you know, hopefully, 
you know, I don't know, man. I mean, this is too big of a thing for me to have any solutions or answers or real. I just feel like it's sad that, you know, people are acting out, you know, the way that they are across the world, not only here. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I, don't, um, I don't know, man. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I don't know what to say. Um, yeah. I, I know. Wish, I wish people would just like, again, it's go, It goes back to like that gratitude thing too, man. Mm. I just think like everybody. And I mean, I'm far from this and I'm like, make, you know, so many aggressive things or feelings or whatever too. But I think we all just, man, it's like, love is the answer and I'm no hippie, but <laughs> you know, it's like, it really yeah. is. It's the, it's truly the answer. It is. And it always has been, and it always will be, you know, and people get so polarized and they get their, th- this camp or that camp and you're wrong and I'm right, but no, but this, but that. And ultimately it's like such a, a tiny little blip of a planet that's flying through space and we're on it and it's so beautiful and there's so many gifts that we have at our disposal you know that like i don't know that's how i see it yeah no i know and it's um there is no answer i mean maybe love is the answer and it can be sometimes but it's it's you try and just find the good in the world and you try and put some good back out into the world totally totally and just having empathy and, Mm -hmm. you know, being open and, and just like, you know, and trying to even catch yourself. Like I always, cause I work in restaurants, you know, I always look at it as like, you know what, like start on the base level. Like if Mm. you're a customer and you come in, don't be aggressive for no reason. Don't like, you know, to the server, like like it's that's silly, but it's like, you know, it's all these things It adds up. It's like everything adds up and like just, Trying to like, I don't know, like I try, I try to catch myself if I'm like going to be reactionary to something that like aggravates me or be reactionary to something that I feel like, ah, oh, you know, and be like, hold on a second. So I, that, that kind of stuff from on the day to day in a small way, you know, I don't know, man, but yeah. New York's back in a lot of ways besides all that. I think like, you know, I think restaurants are open like places are super busy i heard it's impossible to get a reservation anywhere no dude like we were gonna eat out with me and my girlfriend and my daughter wanted to eat out sunday night and we tried a bunch of spots that we had in mind and couldn't find a resi anywhere Um, it's crazy it's only gonna get better like the weather's starting to get good now and like Mm. i think you know we're gonna have a really fantastic spring and summer and you know and i think it's it's good Awesome. Well, Anthony, I can't thank you enough for making the time and and sharing your feelings about the restaurant business and New York and just how you've, how you're just improving on, on the pizza and yourself. And it's, it's a real beautiful thing you've put together. Um, if people want to visit the shop or check out what's going on or come by for a pie and, uh, to hang out, where can they go? How can they follow along? Um, well, we're, we're located at 175 Orchard Street, and that's uh, below Houston. Uh, it's right between Houston and Stanton mm. on the Lower East Side. Love it. And we're open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from 5 p.m. until we sell out. We're re- Generally, our last seating is around 9.30. Um, and you can book online at Resi uh, off of our website or Instagram. Um, and that's the best 
that's the best way to do it. Um, and we've been lucky. Uh, we've been pretty booked um, every night we're open. And yeah, I hope to see uh, see everybody there. Awesome. Well, congratulations again. Looking forward to swinging back in next time I'm in the city. Thanks. We have uh, another song from the archives and then a live musical performance from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on hrn.org. Oh, God. 
This episode is supported by HRN business member Radical Wine, a small neighborhood wine and spirit shop in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, that specializes in natural wine and regional-based spirits. Radical Wine is a shop where community can hang out and listen to records while finding a delicious bottle of wine for any occasion. Grab a bottle from the shop to bring to their sister restaurant, Brooklyn Hots, which is right next door. Radical supports HRN's creative educational reporting and storytelling that drive conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We have Annie Hart in studio. Hi, Annie. Hi. Some of you might remember Annie from being on here many, many years ago with her band Avoa Simone and also did Dinner with the Band with us and was on the second time and just has been around, hung out, known each other for a long time. It's always nice to see you. It's always nice to see you, too. No one can see you shrug on air, though. You're just kind of shrugging. I was curtsying. Oh, curtsying. Uh, uh, Annie, you put out a record this weekend. I did on Friday. Okay. Well, my record label put it out. Yeah, but you had some small part in it. I did a little bit. I like did all the legwork, <laughs> wrote <laughs> it, recorded it, had it ready. Who did the artwork? I did the other one. Oh, okay. But, but the photograph was taken by my friend's daughter, who I think is like 15 now or 16. Did she get paid? I paid her $100. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Do you think she put it into like a savings bond or just blew it like straight out? I really hope she did. I hope she like just was just like, boom, savings bonds. Or maybe she framed it, which also has no value. Or then you can give her like a fake $100 bill. Well, I sent her a check. I didn't even check if it was cash yet. Oh, Got to balance with She's books. also modeling. Her name is Sophie Jurowitz. She's so beautiful. So oh. she's, I think she's got some money in the bank. I don't know if my $100 means anything. Right. She just wanted to say she did an album cover. She's the best. I love her. I've known her since she was two. When did you start working on this record? I started working on this record when I was, seriously, um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, who is now two and a half. And what was the desire? This is your first solo record. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything had before been written with uh, Erica and Heather. Where did these songs start to come from? Or where did you feel that these were going to be placed in your canon of work? <laughs> That's a really good question. I, I kind of felt just an impetus from being pregnant to... Well, okay. So well, before that, I, I kind of, since I was about six or seven when I got my first small Casio keyboard or knockoff Casio keyboard. I think I had the Radio Shack version uh, for Christmas one year. I've been writing songs since then. And then I've just constantly been doing it, always doing it, never stop. I'm always thinking of songs. I'm always thinking in song. It's kind of annoying to be around me because I'll be like, time to tie your shoes. And um, uh, and then... <laughs> sorry, that's not... <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> That's not, I just, made, oh, that was improvised. Um, so your kids are like, no, it's not mom. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we have a different song that I'm not going to get into that my mother wrote. But anyway, so, so I kind of always write songs and I, you know, I, some of these for this album, I was kind of thinking they would be for Ova Simone and then that 
kind of like took a turn when Heather moved to California and Erica wanted to focus on her family. And um, so I actually it was Heather who was and Keith Murray from We Are Scientists, who he just we just heard two songs ago, who I actually dedicated this album to them because they both were really angry at me when I would play them demos and I'd be like, I don't know. I guess I'll just listen to it on my iPod. And they were like, first of all, nobody uses iPods anymore. Second of all, um, <laughs> the, you have to play these for the world. You're really doing the world a disservice by keeping them to yourself. And they literally were just sending me angry text messages all the time telling me that I really needed to focus on this. So I did it. And I'm really glad I listened to them because I'm happy with how it turned out. And how has the writing process evolved going to a solo project, but also evolved as becoming a mother and just, you know, you're thinking about songs or your lyric approach or the, the way in which you craft the, the music? I think, I think you'll hear this from almost every parent is that once you have children, you never understand how much free time you had before and your efficiency. I've always been obsessed with efficiency and doing things in an efficient manner and logical order, like getting the Thanksgiving dinner on the table in the right order is really, I'm good at that. Um, but I think like once you have kids, you're just like, boom, forced to create in these bizarro pockets of time. So you have like, when the kids are napping, you have like... I do my vocal exercises every day when the kids are having their breakfast, you know, that kind of thing where it's like, they're distracted. I'm just going to go ahead and, and do this. And you kind of like make things work with what you have. Do you think, I mean, we always talk about how constraints always breed creativity. And when you have so much time, nothing ever happens, but mm -hmm. it's in those moments. So do you feel that the creative output became even bigger because you had those constraints versus when you didn't have kids? Or do you think it was a different type of creative output? put or, or how did that evolve and change well there's definitely a drive it's kind of like if you're not creating in those pockets of time and you're like me where you're a creative person and you don't really have like a nine to five day job what would you think of yourself if you weren't I mean I'm a workaholic and I'm very into creating and like we're all gonna die let's make stuff let's go for it and so I think you know you just like I'm definitely driven by that like what am I doing in this pocket of time am I vacuuming the floor or am I going to listen to some beautiful synth sounds it's vacuuming the floor right <laughs> my floor is so clean I actually wrote a song recently about clean floors but whatever not on the record though no it's I think it's going to be on the next record but it's kind of I'm so morbid it's like if you have clean floors what have you accomplished with your life it's basically the crux of the song. But I mean, if you enjoy clean floors, you've accomplished a lot because you've made yourself happy. But me, I don't care. And you would, and you recorded this record in the basement when the kids were asleep. Yeah. So mostly a headphone record masterpiece. You know, <laughs> <laughs> definitely a lot of headphones, but I don't want to brag, but we have a house. So the kids are on the second floor and I'm in the basement. So we can, you know, there's monitors. There's monitors, there's time, you know, low, low volumes, so you low don't wake the kids. Was, the other day I tweeted, I was like, I'm doing this new recording project, and I was like recording tambourine for it really loud, and I was like, oh my god, the baby's sleeping, and I'm just like jamming this tambourine at top volume. They'll appreciate it. She slept through it. Can we hear a song? Yeah. Do you want to hear a moody song about my um, second boyfriend ever? Of course. <laughs> Maybe he's listening. Ugh. <laughs> What? Mm-hmm. 
Talk about this record being created in the public eye. Why did you choose that approach, and and how public is public? Well, I mean, I guess you saw that I wrote that on Instagram the other day. I did. Well, I thought it was interesting. Uh, well, because I guess it's it relates a lot to what I was saying before, which is how. For me, it's very natural to create. When I was a child, I was homeschooled and I had a lot of free time and I would play piano and just play for myself, play by myself, play chord progressions that I enjoyed hearing. And um, no matter how many times people told me or would sit and listen or tell me it was great, I just couldn't even comprehend that it was on par with anything that a professional or somebody else who was quote unquote good would, would put out there. And, um, and I, and I still, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like I waffle between the feelings, you know, you, I listen to pretty weird music that like, you know, a lot of people are making in their bedrooms 
that it means a lot to me and it's not necessarily like the world's greatest music, but to me it's the world's greatest music. And uh, I guess I'm trying to say is like, it's hard for me to find that kind of like that this is my talent or this is what I'm good at. Like I feel like I used to volunteer a lot washing dishes in soup kitchens. And I kind of feel like that that is like a much more useful place for me to put my energy and time but like unfortunately I'm kind of changed to the house with the kids and whatnot so I can't like do stuff like that all the time so like even just putting out what I've made it's very revealing especially like these are a lot of these are literal songs about my literal life and like when it was not so good and like even just thinking about those things and maybe crying on stage because it's still really raw for me like that's weird thing to do with your time did you think it was maybe easier when there were two other people on stage and you could say, oh, that song's not about me. It's about the other one. <laughs> and this one, it's it's all about you because there's no one else to deflect it from. Um, you know, it's funny. Like a lot of Ovoa Simone songs, the ones that I wrote, some of them were just like complete fictional tales that, you know, Mountain Goat style kind of like, here's a place that I'm thinking of. And this is a scenario that might have happened there. Um but what was really different is being on stage and like I'm with these like incredible leggy beautiful singers swaying and I can just like be like the freak in the corner and be feel totally natural doing that because I'm like well nobody's looking at me and so (laughs) lately I don't know if I would agree with that but sure But when I first started playing, I was so, a solo, I was so embarrassed. I had like several, like totally choking, just staring at the keyboard being like, what's a black key and what's a white key? Wait, what? Oh my God. What's the meaning of life? Ah! Like in the basement of Cake Shop. A chord, you say. Yeah, a chord? (laughs) A chord? Does it start with a K? So why do you think that these songs had to be all true narratives or from your past as opposed to a a fictional place in a time? Yeah, I kind of, I mean, there's a lot of things that happened (laughs) that led me to this place. One is that a friend of mine who um, encouraged me all the time and and was kind of like, not a literal slap in the face, but like, we'd get a little angry when I said like, oh, whatever, whatever I make is just garbage anyway. And who he would, he OD'd, he died. And it really impacted me and that like, I should kind of like honor his vision of me. So that was one thing. Sorry, I lost track of the question. <laughs> Can we hear another song? Yeah. What are you going to play for us? Um, oh, but this is the other thing I was going to say is that I felt like from that place, like I became, I got <laughs> kind of into like Buddhist philosophy and meditating. And I kind of felt like I started coming f- at this place of forgiveness to your past self where like I had not, I was like always beating myself up and like from here. So like a lot of these songs I'm writing about are kind of like dedicated to my younger self. Like don't beat yourself up over this. You were 20 years old. Of course you dated a stalker. That's fine. Like that's cool. It's done. You didn't, you know, you did the best you could. So this is a song called I don't want your love. (laughs) And this guy wasn't a stalker, but this guy was not treating me right. And I've come to this place where, like, I deserve to be treated right.
of summer, sitting on my couch, watching TV, a certain show by the name of Twin Peaks, who do I see but a band that I thought broke up many moons ago, Avar Simone. We were on hiatus. You were on hiatus. Also, we're still, we, one day. One day. You're going to see us again. I can't wait. I still know all the lyrics. Aww. But also, uh, didn't really kind of put two and two together when you wrote me like, I'm going to be in LA for the Twin Peaks premiere. And I was like, that's cool. She's a fan. Aren't we all? Um, how did that come about? What is the story behind you getting on the show and, and, and being at the roadhouse? Yeah. So I don't know if you know this, but I think one of the biggest reasons that Ophasamon became popular, I mean, we already had kind of a following at that point, but David Lynch is a huge Ophasamon fan unknown to me oh he's like there's he went on like a speaking engagement after his book came out catching the big fish and he would just tell people hey you know what you should do you should listen to this band he literally did that 
all the time. It's amazing. I mean, you can't beat that. And, you know, he's became a friend of ours and just is just like such a positive force in our lives that, um, you know, we always like quietly we're waiting for the phone call. But we thought like maybe one day we would compose a song or something for a movie, you know. Right, or just have a song placed in a, in right, a movie, right? Just, which would be amazing. Anything, anything. Sure, we would just like take it. But you know, it came out that he was working on Twin Peaks, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's fine." Kind of that kind of feeling, and then I got. I remember I was on the subway right when the subway got internet, and uh, I was like, I was with somebody, and I was like, "Oh my god, you're never gonna guess what's gonna happen!" And then I told this person who like. I know, but he's not like one of my closest friends. And then I re- kept reading the email and it was like, whatever you do, do not tell another living human that this is happening. And I was so like, you murdered, uh, so you murdered that person. I, he's no longer with us. Oh, that's so unfortunate. <laughs> he was a really nice guy. I'm sure he was. <laughs> no, but I kept it a, a huge secret. I didn't even tell my parents. And when, when did you record it? We recorded it. Oh, I'm really bad with time, but okay. I'm pretty sure I did it about uh, like last September last fall and was the setting that all the bands came in at one time or, or how was it how was it recorded yeah I think I mean I'm sure they must have done some other but I know they had like two days booked at the roadcast where they like filmed everybody in a row and I feel really bad his David's assistant was like you girls you're just like like family you should stay and just like you can totally listen to all the bands Julie's coming down blah 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 and I, we saw a couple of bands and we we're like, we have, we've got places to go. So we left and then I'm like, Nine Inch Nails were there and I missed it. Eddie Vedder. I'm, I'm kicking myself. Eddie Vedder. Did you get to watch any of the Chromatics? We saw the Chromatics. They were amazing and they're, they're super nice people. And how did the song selection go? I mean, it was interesting, the, the songs, I mean, super deep from your collection. It makes a lot more sense now because he's such a fan. But did he give any explanation why he chose the songs that he did? You know, we filmed, oh God, we filmed Flammable, Lark, and I think we filmed Sad Song. We filmed the third song from Bird of Music. And um, that was the album that we were touring on when we, we did this event with him in Barnes and Noble. And I think that he, he like got married to one of the songs on the record. Like, I think he just really loves that record. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that those two really fit the vibe. No, of course. I mean, they totally, I mean, and as you, whoever watched the show, the lyrics of all the performances actually tied into the episode and to mm-hmm. the overall thing. They weren't just, here's a cool band playing a cool song that actually fit the theme. So I was curious just how deeply he went over was a conversation. He said, do you have any songs like this? Or they asked for those songs. No, he knew the songs. He just asked for those songs. That is incredible. Moving on, moving on. I didn't realize there was such a cult around him. Now that I was in the show, yeah. everybody's just like, <gasps> like the texts on the phone. I think I wrote you and Erica. Um, I was like, holy shit. I can't <laughs> believe it. I was like, this is insane. Like, not, like, just totally surprised. Not surprising, but just like, this is incredible. Yeah. And then once it started, you're like, oh, this makes total sense. Yeah. It, it, it didn't make sense. Yeah. I guess I'm part of culture. You are part of culture. <laughs> so the record Impossible Accomplice is out. Yeah. And you're going on tour mm-hmm. in October. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm playing um, the Brooklyn Night Bazaar opening for Wild Pink and Matt Pond PA on the 25th. 
There's a song by Matt Pompier called Summer is Coming that is one of my all-time favorite songs. Oh, I it, hope he plays it. Do you want to come? I'll put you on the list. Perfect. Okay. I'd love to. Great. If he said no on air, audience, I would have been really mad. Man, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. Do you say the 24th? <laughs> I got plans. So there, and then, but then you're going east, and then you're going west. Well, yeah, I'm kind of like not doing the east coast of America. I'm going to, I'm playing Margate to this festival by the sea in UK, and then playing London, I'm playing Paris, and then I'm opening up for this band, The Deers, and we're going to Oxford, Manchester, Newcastle, Glasgow, and then I'm coming to California, so I'll be in LA, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, and then Whidbey Island, which I never heard of, which is apparently like a magical island. I'm assuming there's unicorns. By the way, in Margate, there is a fish shack that's been there since like the 1950s that is absolutely incredible. You're the first American I've ever talked to who knows where Margate is. I did a day trip there. Ah, all, really everybody cool. from London is moving there. All my friends live there now. So many people. Well, Stephen from Moshi Moshi. Our who mutual we both know, friend. friend has a house out there. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to make sure that we have time to get one more song in. But oh. where can people get the record? Oh, find it, stream it, follow you on Instagram, see you, all the stuff. Oh my God, I'm on Instagram at Annie Hart for sure. F O R spelled out. Somebody asked me that the other day. Um, yeah, it's on Spotify. It's not available on vinyl or CD. It's only available on cassette from my Bandcamp page if you need a physical one. Um, but you can get it digitally at, you know, iTunes, whatever, Amazon. One of them's going to be mad I didn't give them a shout out. Google Play. They'll be fine. Deezer. Deezer, they're all fine. <laughs> what is Deezer? It's not big in the States, but it's big everywhere else. Okay. Uh, I want to give a warm thank you to Camille from La Bouvette. Uh, please make sure that if you are in town this week to check out her events at Mission Chinese and Achilles Heels. If you like this and you want to hear more Snacky Tunes episodes, please go into our archives. And if you want to, leave us a nice little review and give us five stars. Uh, we will be back next week with a brand new episode of Snacky Tunes. Annie, what is the name of the song you are going to take us out on? Breathing Underwater. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week.
This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.